Chapter Three of the Life and Adventures of Michael Armstrong, the Factory Boy. This is a LibriVox recording. Chapter Three. Introduction of Michael Armstrong into the family of Sir Matthew Dowling. Conjectures concerning his parentage. A confabulation between Sir Matthew and Mr. Joseph Parsons. When Mr. Macnab and his little companion entered the kitchen on their way to the servants' hall, to which place of honour the wondering Scotchman remembered he had been commanded to conduct his charge the first person they encountered was mr simkins the butler whom some accidental wish or want had led to enter a region but rarely honoured by the sunshine of his presence good morning macnab what empty-handed i am afraid you have forgotten the little basket of peaches i desired to have and upon my word sir if you leave it much longer i shall not consider them worth presenting to the lady for whom i desired to have them be pleased to recollect good mr sawney that when every garden wall is hung with ripe fruit a bottle of comfort will be rather too high a price for a dozen your discourse mr simkins is neither civil nor discreet in any way replied the offended north briton my word sir is as good as the bank either in england or scotland and it is beneath a gentleman to say nothing of your rank as a butler mr simkins to suspect that i should forget it well well the sooner the better that's all but who in god's name have you got here that is more than i am able to tell you sir replied macnab all i know about him is a mystery sir matthew and a lady that was hardly born to be so free in his company came to the garden-house about an hour ago and sir matthew was as gay as a lark and ambled and smirked while the highlandlock's daughter old fool looked as well pleased as if she had been gallanted by the duke of argyle well sir he ordered a basket of the choicest and best for her ladyship and it went against me mr simkins both ways for first it ought to choke her seeing who she is and who he is and next i thought upon my promise to you sir however and nevertheless mr simkins i will keep my word with you if it cost me a ton of coals more in the forcing but what's all this to do with your ragged companion there the child looks as if he was ready to drop i'll bet a bottle you caught him thieving in the fruit garden the boy's colour rose on hearing these words he spoke not however but his large eyes were turned up to the face of his companion and the fingers of his little hand pressed the hard palm that held them almost convulsively sawney understood the appeal and answered it for though like many other gentlemen his code of honour at some points a little loosened and enlarged to fit and suit his individual circumstances he felt the value of character as much as any man and promptly replied in good scotch which must however for sundry weighty reasons be here translated into english no no mr butler no such thing i assure you the lad's as honest as i am for aught that i know to the contrary but to make a short story of a long one my lady walked off up the lane after borrowing a shawl from my wife and your master with her mr simkins who but he well i had picked the fruit packed it and delivered it over to my lady's man and was just set down again to my seed-picking when i heard sir matthew's big voice again hollowing to me and when i came out there stood the ill-sorted pair arm in arm together as before and this ragged chap beside them well and what then ejaculated the portly butler impatiently what a long-winded man you are macnab hoot man retorted macnab if you want the story you must find patience to hear it take this boy to the servants hall said mr matthew quite upon the strut and order supper and a bed for him to the servants hall 
repeated the indignant man of bottles measuring the little fellow from head to foot with an eye which notwithstanding it was small and bloodshot was eloquent of scorn to the servants hall sir matthew will inflict his own company upon us next i suppose why look at the cotton fluff mixed with his hair he is neither more nor less than a factory boy to be sure he is replied the gardener shrugging his shoulders but it's no fault of mine mr simpkins to the servants hall i must take him right or wrong come along boy stop one moment if you please macnab let me step to mrs thompson's room and speak one word to her about it sit down sit down will you for one moment and away hurried mr simpkins scattering dismay as he traversed the passages by uttering as he passed along to footmen and housemaids abigail and page go to the kitchen do in god's name go and see the company sir matthew has been ordering into the servants hall and away they flew one after another eager to see the wonder so that by the time mr simpkins himself returned to the kitchen marshalling the housekeeper before him at least half a dozen servants had assembled there all of whom were gazing at little michael very much as if he had been caught in a forest and conveyed thither to gratify their desire of studying natural history who is that dirty little boy macnab said the magnificent mrs thompson advancing to the spot where the gardener was seated with his frightened charge standing beside him and all the lookers-on making way for her as she passed it is a factory boy sent here by sir matthew mrs thompson replied macnab while forestalling it may be the storm likely to follow the intelligence he seemed to settle himself in the armchair either to enjoy the fun or abide the tempest but he was as it should seem mistaken as to mrs thompson's feelings for that lady though usually considered by the subordinates as somewhat warm in temper appeared on this occasion to be mild as a lamb a factory boy certainly she replied with a dignity that was peculiar to her nobody is likely to doubt that mr macnab one might know his calling at half a mile's distance the vulgar factory itself with its millions of windows is not more easily known than the things that crawl out of it with their millions of cotton specks that is not the main point of the question mr macnab it is not what the boy is but who he is and for what reason any one has dared to say that he was to sup in the servants hall oh dear me ma'am replied the gardener endeavouring to look very grave that wasn't one half of it to you ma'am it's my duty to repeat sir matthew's words exact and this is what he said macnab or mr macnab for he calls me both at times take this little boy says he into the servants hall and tell everybody there to take care of him everybody to take care of him that was it mrs thompson word for word and then he went on he is to have a bed says he made up on purpose for him and he is to be waited upon with supper and breakfast and a great deal more that mr parsons is to make known to-morrow but you have not heard all yet ma'am continued macnab raising his voice on perceiving that the stately housekeeper was putting herself in act to speak sir matthew went on raising his arm like one of his own steam engines observe mr macnab says he and take care that all the servants little and great know it that this boy is to be the object of the greatest benevolence that's something new for you mrs thompson isn't it sir matthew may settle about his benevolence with himself when he is in his own pew at church replied mrs thompson with a very satirical sort of smile but most certain they shall not be brought to dirty my premises so let me hear no more about it gardener if you please 
and with these words she turned haughtily away but ma'am mrs thompson you had better stop if you please for go i must if that's your answer and tell sir matthew of it if mr Macnab had been a blacksmith instead of a gardener he might have been less surprised at the phenomena which followed these words for he would have known that white heat is stronger than red heat though it does not look so fierce he had fancied the housekeeper particularly calm and placable upon this occasion because forsooth she looked rather pale than red when she entered the kitchen but no sooner had he uttered this threat of reporting her words to sir matthew than the fact of her being in an exceedingly terrible rage became evident notwithstanding the usual dignified gentility of her manner on which indeed when more self-possessed she greatly prided herself she clenched her fists raised her arms on high and from one of the most imposing housekeepers in the british dominions suddenly assumed the aspect of an inspired fury tell you sir matthew blackguard scoundrel base-born spinning spider i that have lived with the duke of clarington tis too too bad and that's the fact exclaimed my lady dowling's own footman who always sided with the principal person in company which gave him very much the air of being a superior person himself and if i was mrs thompson i'd throw my salary in the vulgar fellow's face before i'd bear to have a factory boy pushed into my company and so i will mr jennings you may depend upon it replied the incensed prime ministress somewhat softened so now mr Macnab, you may just take yourself off and leave the brat in the kitchen or take him away with you as you like best i have done my share of the benevolent job so i will wish you good-night mrs thompson and whether this little fellow eats his supper and breakfast in the kitchen or the hall it will be much the same to him i fancy so saying the gardener rose and giving a sort of general nod to the company left the kitchen considering that there had been nothing very affectionate in the nature of the intercourse which had taken place between them it was rather singular that the little michael should feel as sorry as he did at the departure of mr Macnab. but he did feel sorry and when the door shut after him he turned away and hid his face with his uplifted arm pride of place and elevation of character having been in a considerable degree satisfied by mrs thompson's energetic expression of her feelings something like curiosity awoke within her to learn what the circumstances had been which had induced sir matthew dowling to declare an intention of acting benevolently for a moment she struggled against it and again seemed about to leave the room but as she turned her eyes upon the child she seemed to feel that before one so very abject no loss of importance could be feared even if she did question him so with the air of a judge walking up to the bench she stalked onwards to the seat mr Macnab had left and placing her austere person in it made a signal with her hand that the kitchen-maid who had ventured to approach the little boy should stand back and leave her space to examine him on one side of this space stood the lordly butler with his arms folded and a look of scorn upon his countenance that seemed to question the propriety of the measure mrs thompson had thought proper to adopt on the other was the courtly jennings with an arm resting upon her chair as if to give evidence that he was near at hand to support her an extremely fat and very professional-looking cook came next while my lady's own maid with all the elegant superiority of attire which marks the station held a scented bottle to her nose that the curiosity which led her to be a witness of this extraordinary scene might be punished with as little suffering as possible two sprightly housemaids seemed to find something vastly amusing in the whole business 
though their evident merriment was restrained by the solemnity of mrs thompson's manner look up in my face little boy said the housekeeper as soon as she had seated herself and saw that those around her stood still as if they had taken their places and were prepared to listen michael did not move he was probably ashamed to show that he was weeping before the face of a lady who spoke so very grandly the kitchen-maid gave him a nudge but a gentle one whispering at the same time look up my boy what you be feared of there's nobody as wants to hurt you here thus encouraged michael let his arm drop by his side and discovered a face that was indeed sallow and by no means very plump but with features and expression which whatever sir matthew dowling's men and maids might think of it might have sufficed to make the fortune of an able painter whose child are you demanded the housekeeper mother's replied the boy i suspected as much rejoined the inquisitor half aside to mr jennings and i bean't no way surprised to hear it i promise you he replied mrs thompson sighed deeply it is dreadful said she then after taking a moment to recover herself she resumed and where does the unhappy person live please ma'am who said the puzzled boy the your mother child shame upon you for forcing me to name her michael gave a little shake of the head which seemed to the merciful kitchen-maid to say that he did not know what the great lady meant but he presently replied as if discreetly determined to mind only what he did understand mother lives in hoxley lane ma'am the most deplorable situation in the whole parish inhabited only by the very lowest observed the housekeeper with another indignant sigh so much the worse for she muttered the kitchen-maid but not loud enough to be heard by her in whose hands rested the appointment of kitchen-maids as well as cooks and why does such as you come here resumed the housekeeper because the squire ordered t'other man to bring me answered michael i suspect that the boy is a natural fool observed mrs thompson addressing the butler it is a sure fact and a great dispensation bad parents have almost always children out of shape both mind and body you may take my word for that all of you she added looking round her and you will do well to teach it to your children after you i'll be burnt if i don't think it very likely that it was his own father sent him here and no one else said mr jennings chuckling fie jennings fie returned mrs thompson with a frown god in heaven only knows what may have been the cause of it not but what it does look strange there's no denying that do you know anything about your father child said mr simkins in a magisterial tone father's in heaven replied the child mercy on me do you hear him is not that like mocking the lord's prayer exclaimed the lady's maid no it is not said michael while a flash of youthful indignation rushed into his face my father is in heaven along with god i dare say he means that his father is dead observed the butler with an air of great sagacity and if what has been jealous that is correct he added winking his eye at mr jennings it is very natural that he should have been told to say so that's very true said the housekeeper and it may be certainly that the child knows nothing about it whatever either one way or t'other indeed i think it's a good deal the most likely that he does not but anyhow it's a very shocking business and as far as i am concerned i'll neither make nor meddle in the matter of course the men's servants may do just as they like about taking notice of him for here he is and here he will bide i dare say but i recommend the maids to follow my example and not to injure their characters 
nor to corrupt their morals by having anything to do with the offspring of it is more decent not to finish what i was going to say for your goods young women and lucky it is that there is no need you must all understand me without it mrs thompson then rose from her chair and turning her eyes and indeed her head aside to prevent herself from again seeing michael she walked with a degree of stateliness and majesty that few housekeepers ever attained through the kitchen along the passage across the servants hall into the sacred shelter of her own parlour where she gave way to emotions which rendered a glass of prime london madeira absolutely necessary meanwhile michael remained in no very happy condition in the kitchen he was very tired very sleepy very thirsty very much longing to see his mother and brother and very greatly puzzled as to himself but though accounted to be a brave little fellow for his age he could not muster courage enough to ask any questions of those around him and if he had it would have been to no avail for the very moment mrs thompson was out of sight so many of the servants began talking together that no sounds his voice could produce would have been heard jokes and jibes about sir matthew mingled with ridiculous anecdotes and very cordial abuse of him and all his race furnished the first subject and filled the first chorus then followed some facetious observations from mr jennings concerning mrs thompson and a few of her peculiarities and it was in the midst of the giggling which these occasioned that the kitchen-maid ventured to say well now you are all so keen and so clever about her that i wonder it don't come into your heads to find out that she spoke just like an old fool and no better when she invented all that rigmarole about the boy master might just be the devil you says he is and ten times worser too for anything i know about him but the worser he is the farther i'd be if i was such a mighty good gentlewoman as she thinks herself from giving such a bad father out of my own invention to anybody whether they come out of the factory or not i do think molly's right said one of the housemaids what business has the old frump to find a father for him nobody asked her that may be all very true rebecca observed the lady's maid shaking her head very gravely i know well enough that mrs thompson does not always wait for right and reason before she speaks but that makes no difference as to our having any familiarity with this dirty little boy for it certainly does appear plain enough that his mother is very little better than she ought to be lord bless us and how much better be you than you ought to be i should like to know said the fat cook who had her own reasons for not being at all partial to mrs whittington her ladyship's waiting-maid i you miserable lump of kitchen stuff that no man in his senses would ever deign to look upon twice do you dare to say that i am no better than i ought to be now the cook was an irishwoman and though she had famous black eyes and teeth like an elephant her principal claim to the coveted attentions of the other sex setting aside the attractions which it is but fair to presume her profession gave her arose from the ready sauciness of her tongue which in a brogue as strong as that of the scotch gardener and equally dangerous for the untaught to meddle with was wont to rattle about her right and left sometimes scolding but oftener making sport of all who crossed her humour now this virtuous outbreak of mrs whittington was too fair an opportunity to be lost and accordingly putting on as demure a look as her wicked eyes would let her she replied you be better than you ought to be be you well now that's a trouble for your conscience isn't it is there anybody as can help her out of it think what it is gentlemen to be so burdened and she poor soul unable to confess to a priest seeing she's a heretic oh she's better than she ought to be 
and you've her own word for it too and that's the reason you see why she's obliged whether she will or no to turn her back on this poor little fellow just because he's fatherless isn't that a sore strait for a young lady's conscience praise and glory to the holy virgin and all the company of saints now and for evermore that i bean't one bit better than i ought to be and i hope you bean't neither molly and so just run to the larder will you girl and bring out something for supper fit for a hungry little boy that i haven't the misfortune to be so burdened in mine as pretty mrs whittington oh the poor soul she's better than she ought to be molly the kitchen-maid did not wait for a second order and if a capital dish of cold cutlets could have set little michael's heart at rest he might then have been a very happy fellow but in truth he was longing for his own porridge by his own mother's bedside and except from the relief afforded by a copious draught of milk he went to the bed prepared for him by his friend the kitchen-maid so little elated in spirit and so little thankful for the extraordinary change which had befallen him that had his noble patroness been made aware of it she would beyond all doubt have punished his ingratitude by requesting sir matthew to turn him out of doors again and moreover have for ever abandoned the generous idea of surrounding his young head as she poetically expressed it with the halo of immortality by means of getting mr osmond norval to relate his adventure in verse sir matthew dowling went to his bed also hardly better pleased with what had occurred than little michael but there was this difference between them little michael said his prayers which the great sir matthew did not but on the contrary spent his last waking moment in cursing with great fervour of spirit the folly of the hideous old maid who had entailed such a detestable burden upon him the result of which as a peace-offering to the whole body of operatives was at any rate but problematical nevertheless when he awoke the next morning with his head quite cool he felt disposed to think more of the hint given him by his friend and favoured dr crockley and less of the inconvenience of having a few pounds to pay out of hundreds of thousands for a job which if well managed might help perhaps to avert a monstrous deal of mischief with these rational thoughts working strongly in his ever-active brain he rang his bell and ordered that joseph parsons his principal overlooker should be sent for instantly and shown into his study a short half-hour brought the master and man to a tete-a-tete in the snug little apartment described in the first chapter good morning parsons said sir matthew the overlooker bowed his head respectfully have you heard anything of this meeting at the weaver's arms parsons inquired sir matthew as much as a man was likely to hear sir matthew who as you will easily believe was not intended to hear anything replied the confidential servant and how much was that parsons sit down parsons sit down and let us hear all about it i was a-coming sir if you hadn't a sent for me rejoined the overlooker for to say truth my mind misgives me that there's mischief brewing i have heard as much said the master but it can hardly have gone very far yet if such a sharp-sighted fellow as you only suspect that's true sir said the man with a grim smile in acknowledgment of the compliment and i've not been idle i promise you but all i know for certain is that the people old and young our own people i mean have one and all taken dudgeon about that girl stevens that died the week before last just after leaving the mill she had been at work all day in the spinning mill and who was to guess that she was that low it was a d blank stupid thing though parsons to have a girl go on working and not know whether she was dying or not and how is one to know sir i'll defy any man to find out what with their tricks and what with their real faintings 
you won't tell me parsons that if you set your wits to work you can't tell whether they are shamming or not that's not the question sir matthew asking your pardon there's no great difficulty in finding out whether they are in a real faint or only making the most of being a little sickish from standing and want of air that's not the difficulty the thing is to know when they really take to the downright faintings whether they are likely to live through it or not and where is the great difficulty of that you know dr crockley would come at a moment's warning at any time and feel their pulses and he does do it sir but in the first place i doubt if any man can justly tell whether girls are likely to go on fainting and up again as lots and lots of em do for years or drop down and die as nancy stevens did that's one thing and another is that dr crockley is so fond of a joke that tis rarely one knows when he speaks earnest and when he does not he did see nancy stevens about a month ago and all he said was she do look a little pale in the gills to be sure but a dance would cure her i have no doubt a dance says i doctor and please to tell me says i how the work is to get on if the factory boys and girls sets off dancing maybe you haven't got a fiddle said he maybe i haven't said i well then says he if it don't suit you to let them dance to the fiddle i'll bet ten to one you'll be after making em dance to the strap and with that if you'll believe me sir he set off capering and making antics just as if there had been somebody behind as trapping him to be sure it was fit to make one die of laughing to see him but that's not the way you know sir to do one any good as to finding out the real condition of the people sir matthew could not resist a hearty laugh at this characteristic trait of his friend but he concluded by acknowledging that parsons was quite right in saying that this way of doing business was more agreeable than useful however parsons he continued we must not talk about that now for i have something else to say to you it is quite plain that they are getting again to their grumblings and crockley who you know is up to everything says that he'll bet his life that they have got some new mischief in their cursed heads now this must be prevented parsons some way or other for any harm they can do to the machinery is not the worst of it tis the rousing up people's attention again parsons there's the danger just see what they've done about the blackmore slaves by going on boring for everlasting ding-dong ding-dong till they actually got the thing done at last now the philadelphia people and the boston people are just playing the very same game t'other side the water and when they have got their way where will their national wealth be i should like to know and where will our national wealth be when these rascals have contrived to stop the mills instead of working them lord have mercy upon us sir matthew if you don't make me creep all over to hear you exclaimed parsons tis a pity sir and often the times i have said it that you aren't in parliament yourself you'd pretty soon show em what their meddling with factories would do for the country tis likely i might parsons but a man can't be in two places at once and depend upon it there's good to be done here if we knew how to set about it i shall make you stare perhaps mr parsons when i tell you what i am about now it came into my head by accident at first but if i don't greatly mistake i'll make a capital thing of it before i have done there's no doubt of that sir matthew if you sets your mind to it let it be what it will replied the confidential overlooker and if it isn't a secret sir i should like uncommon much to hear it no it's no secret parsons anything in the world but that replied sir matthew laughing 
what should you say now mr superintendent to my taking a dirty little dog of a piecer out of the factory into my own house and dressing him and feeding him and lodging him all for the love of pure benevolence and little boys i don't quite understand you sir replied mr joseph parsons looking very grave no i dare say you don't but i think i do parsons and that's more to the purpose trust me man it will do good if it's early by giving the people something to talk of just now besides this confounded girl's death and now my good fellow tell me all you know of a boy called michael armstrong for he you must understand is the hero of my tale that's the boy is it then that's why the chap didn't come to work this morning replied mr parsons i knows him well enough sir matthew in course for he's going on for eight or nine and he come to the factory just about five and what sort of a boy is he parsons nothing very particular sir matthew unless it is because of the unaccountable fuss he makes about his elder brother who is but a poor rickety shriveledy sort of a child for some reason or other his bones never seem to come rightly straight and this mike makes as great a fuss about him as if he was his grandmother are the parents living inquired sir matthew the mother is she is a bedridden woman and ought to be in the workhouse but she's uppish and can't abide it and so she lies abed doing plain work in that and the two boys wages maintains em but i did hear t'other day she had given in and was a-begging to go into the house and take the eldest boy with her these creatures never know what they would be at i suspect howsomever that she has got hold of a notion that because he's so cripply he bean't to work no more but i shall take care to see butchel the parish overseer about it it is altogether a trick that what won't answer his fingers is just as able to handle the reels and piece the threads as ever they was and in course a little dwarf like him with his legs like crooked drumsticks can't look for any but the youngest wages so after all he's one of them as answers best no parsons no ejaculated sir matthew with sudden energy that woman must not go into the workhouse the whole thing shall be got up i tell you in the best possible style what do you say now to getting the woman arrested for debt or having all her things sold and we just stepping in at the very nick of time to save her from destruction there was something so truly comic in the expression of the knight's countenance as he said this that even the saturnine mr parsons could not help laughing if the born devils don't sing your praises through the country sir said he as soon as he had recovered his gravity why we must find some other way to go to work with them now then be off parsons and contrive some clever scheme or other to throw the unhappy family into a quandary i understand sir said parsons nodding his head and so parted the master and the man End of chapter three